0: Hello and welcome into to another episode of the eSports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today I'm talking to Travis Maynard. He's an eSports agent at United Talent Agency. Travis, thanks for joining the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Mitch.
0: Travis spent seven years at Riot Games before moving over to UTA uh, just about a year ago now. While at Riot, his primary role was the liaison between the LCS players and Riot. Seems like a pretty natural transition over to United. Why did you decide to make that move and take it over to UTA?
1: Um, Yeah, you know, at at first it was it seemed a little bit uh, out of the ordinary for me, uh, especially when you look into United talent as a traditional Hollywood agency. Um, But when I thought about it a little bit more, it was it was actually the ability to do more for the players that I was already in communication with over at Riot. Um, I've been with these guys since they were 17, 18 years old and, uh, seeing them kind of go through the system and mature. It was one of those things where I thought it was just time to kind of make that transition instead of doing stuff on the publisher side, more into the player side. So I had more time to actually spend with them and and do things actually advance their careers and their brands.
0: Yeah. There's so much that esports players can and should be doing. Where do you feel like there's some missed opportunities you know you want to do more for players what is that more that you can be doing
1: um a lot of that has to do with just focus on what buyers are looking for in the space what sponsors are looking for people who actually are trying to get engaged into esports and trying to enlighten and kind of educate the players on what that stuff is um I think a lot of things that players look at when they go stream or when they're trying to interact with their audience is that they look at themselves as being, you know, the best of the best because they are. They're the top 0.1% of some odd million people that play any particular game. But what I think that they kind of gloss over is that when people come to watch them on their personal channels and their social channels, they're looking for the human quality of that person. Uh, If they want to watch them kind of perform at their best, they're going to watch them against other people that are really good at this game. And tune in to whatever league they're a part of on the weekends or whatever day that they actually wind up having their competitions.
0: Right. We've already got an avenue to watch them compete at the absolute highest level. On streams, it's more important to be interacting with the chat, taking donations, maybe doing meme comps or something like that. Anything (laughs) that creates funny moments uh, more so than just winning and grinding every single game to the the max level.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think... If you have an opportunity to really organically interact with your community on whichever partner you're with. So if you're with a drink company, you actually really enjoy that drink and you enjoy talking to, about that drink to your community and, and doing it in a way that you know your community is going to react to. Because really, as a, an athlete or a performer or streamer, you're the only one that actually knows your community and each community is going to be different from each other. So when partners get into the space, they're going to be looking at the talent and, uh, by default, their representation to make sure that they know that they're going to be a good fit for that, that campaign.
0: Who are some of the best gamers at being that, at knowing their community, at understanding their community, and then leveraging that for brands? In your opinion, somebody who's worked in the space for a long time, who do you see as a great example of someone doing this really well?
1: Um, you know, I <laughs> I hate to call out names because I'm partial, uh, <laughs> but uh, in reality, you know, there's people who we, we say have very sticky or, or, you know, cemented communities. And I think uh, Sneaky is one of those people that, you know, has transitioned from being a pro player over to a content creator um, with relative ease. You know, his his numbers don't really fluctuate that much because he's got a very strong community. Uh, and it's going to be now about like figuring out what his next steps are to enlarge this community. So I, I would call out him. Um, and honestly, like there's a TP from COD has actually been able to transform from just being somebody who is uh, a caster or a pro player or a coach to somebody who's actually a really great entertainer uh, and whose stream just kind of blows people out of the water when it comes to ratios of subscriptions to viewers. I mean, it's it's pretty insane.
0: Yeah, it really is awesome to see. And it's cool to see a lot of these esports players. You know, a lot of esports and gaming has this background in content creation. But once players go pro, it feels like a lot of them leave that by the wayside. You now, there's plenty that are creating amazing content. But why is it so important for the content creation aspect to stay active? It's a little bit different than the traditional sports world where, hey, as long as you perform... Kawhi Leonard's a great example. As long as you perform well on the basketball court you're going to have brands come to you. It doesn't even matter if you have any personality or any social media. Is that a different aspect in esports? Do you really need to be a very well-rounded uh, platform on Twitch and YouTube as well as competing in a league to be the best brand partner possible?
1: Yeah, You know, I, I think the easy answer to that is yes, but it, it's actually not true. Like it, it's very similar to sports um, in the way that you look at this, you're going to have several people who are, Um, calling in and and being, you know, three different tiers of of player. Um, One of those tiers is going to be somebody who's just focusing on playing really, really well. And then therefore, like you said, brands will come your way. People who really want to get involved with you will come your way. Um, But at the same time, you're going to have other people who are just really good at going out and being a personality. And when you look at that, it's more along the lines of um, somebody who might be a mediocre player or a decent player not quite top tier who's able to really engage and and be somebody who speaks to the audience, speaks to the fans, speaks to the people who go on to have a, a different career outside of pro play. And, you know, there's gonna be people who are just gonna have to be ambassadors of, of brands that are part of teams or leagues or somebody who wants to be a part of the bigger pro player uh, scene. So you might just come in every Saturday and Sunday and play the game pretty well, be a you know a great support a top laner uh, but at the same time you know you're you're sponsored by nvidia and so you come in and you actually have to do your social post before you go on stage shout them out in your interview and then kind of go on your way so it, it's very similar to sports in that way there's there's only five or six people in each sports that you can speak to as being you know transformational uh, of course like you mentioned Kawhi, um you it seems like all he does is play but his content is really on brand, and I think he's been really great at you know following the people around him uh, in which direction that they should go and how they highlight him.
0: Yeah, there's a ton of different approaches to how you want to create content. When you look at esports and individual player brands, especially for people currently competing, you know, there's plenty of streamers that have these massive brands that seem to be around for perpetuity. When, what are some of the hurdles in place for building up individual player brands in eSports? The one that comes to my mind is length of career, first of all. When people are retiring at the age of 23, 24, it's really hard to build up a superstardom status there. But what are some of the, do you think that's a hurdle for eSports players? And you know, what are some of the other ones in your mind in terms of building up these individual players' brands into as big as they could possibly be?
1: Uh, it's a It's a great question because When you take it at surface, you know, it's really easy to kind of chalk up everything to esports being this really kind of undefined space and, you know, new and everything else and that traditional sports have it figured out. But if you look at the, uh, you know, average length of career for an NFL player, it's about four years. Um, So we can't really say that, you know, the esports athlete's career is any shorter than an NFL athlete's. But well, what we can say is that, you know, what starts to really cloud uh, this kind of transition into building your own brand and who you are, uh, especially in esports, is that you have competition. And, and part of that competition is your team that you're on. You know, we have uh, we have teams out there that are looking to build their own brands and their own identity. Um, and part of that is bringing on players to that team that kind of will bring their own personality and in some cases, that team will just kind of morph into what that player's personality is and fall behind the star player. Uh, in other cases, uh, you have organizations that have built a really great understanding of who they are as a brand. And anybody that they bring on to their team has to fit that mold. Um, and I, I think you have a lot easier time in traditional sports doing that because of your location and the city that you're in. Uh, the city you're in and, and where you play is based on the personality of the people in that community. So I think that's kind of where everything is getting muddied right now and how things get really difficult, especially in esports, is trying to figure out the identity of the teams, identity of the community, and then therefore having the teams have this stable identity that the players can then leverage for their own brands. I think right now it's kind of a reverse pyramid.
0: Interesting. You know, that was one of the biggest benefits of the Activision Blizzard franchise leagues and what they were hoping to do this year now. Obviously, COVID has derailed a lot of those plans. But the geolocalization experiment has so many interesting benefits if it works out well. And one of the biggest being that connection to a hometown city, building up more natural fans. Do you think that would have naturally taken hold? And I know Riot, and I know you're focused more on League of Legends, and this has been happening a bit in the LPL over in China for a while. Do you feel like this connection to a city really is crucial for these players to build up their individual brands or is the digital nature of esports allow them to really create fans from all over? Do they need to be tied to a city like traditional sports teams do?
1: Yeah, I definitely don't think they need to be tied to a city. I think actually um, that will start to scare a lot of brands and and partners away from the scene because to to be honest right now, they have the ability to kind of transcend um, borders and transcend uh, certain communities in order to be, uh, associated with a team because that team is across multiple games in multiple cities and, and, and can compete in international tournaments across the world. So for them, pigeonholing them to one city or one place actually might be a, to, not to their advantage. Um, I think it's more about defining your community and defining your brand as a team than it is about where you're geolocated. It's really tough for any new team, you can look at the MLS as well, uh, to kind of go into a city and take on that city's attitude or that city's flair. Um, you know, way traditional sports like like NFL football and and, and uh, you know NBA, they they have the ability to kind of be with that team or be with that city for such a long period of time and grow with that city and grow with that community that you know they've helped kind of define that space. And I think esports artificially infusing themselves into a city or geolocation isn't necessarily the answer to um, the branding problem. I think it's more about, uh, it's more on the organizations to define their community and define their brands. Uh, And then I think, you know, they'll create their own form of geolocation. LPL is a little bit different, but you know, everything else, uh, I, I think it's more about just, you know, organizational branding.
0: Yeah, figuring out where your niche lies. Evil Geniuses has done a really good job of focusing their branding about being the the heel of of esports, and really, you know, trying to do something different, carve out an individual niche, and then that gives players some a persona to to use and to adopt. We've seen some streamers like Doctor Disrespect, even Tyler One, use this persona to great success. Now, maybe not always on the branding front, but in terms of grabbing viewers, they're doing an amazing job by playing this certain character this certain persona up. What are some of the other personas you like to see esports players adopt? And is it their own individual brand and being true to themselves? Or is there some part of showmanship that comes with this as well?
1: Oh, I think it's definitely got to be a part of uh, showmanship. You know, it's... Um, the entertainers have this amazing ability to kind of create freely, whatever they want to create and hope that it sticks. And, you know, sometimes they overstep the boundaries and, and thank goodness they're given a second chance here or there. And and I think you, you named a couple of people that have had that in their lives where, you know, they've gone out and really pushed the boundaries and created this great, amazing uh, persona. And then, you know, they overstep the boundaries a little bit, but then they get a second chance to come into the, the fray and, and really reconnect with their community. Uh, in a way that's that's humbling and personal, and um, they have a unique ability to do that. Whereas a pro player has to concentrate not only on being really really good at the game, but delivering on you know sponsorship obligations for their team, and you know signings and meet and greets and um, stuff that they have to do for the publisher. I mean, pro players have a very busy life they have a very busy schedule and it doesn't really always focus around them actually 90 percent of the time it doesn't focus around them it focuses on either their teammates or their organization or just being really good at the game that they play um and i think that that kind of leads to that that burnout that people talk about a lot with pro players um but at the same time you know it's going to be really really hard to find that good connection of one pro player that's able to do both at the same time and kind of hit that magic sweet spot um without kind of you know destroying their life.
0: Yeah, it's a difficult challenge and I feel like a lot of people don't quite understand. We talk about burnout in esports all the time, but it's a really complicated life they have to live and there's a reason that players are retiring at the age of 25, 26 a lot of times especially in the more high demand at eSports. And there's plenty of reasons that go into it. But do you feel like eSports organizations and
1: publishers are doing a better
0: job of addressing burnout than they might have in the past?
1: Um, I would say it's actually been the organizations that kind of have stepped up in that, in that area. Um, not saying that publishers and you know, video game leagues have, have not taken some steps toward the right direction. It's just, I'm not sure that the onus lays on them. I think the onus lays on definitely the organizations and in some cases the players themselves, because one of the things I always talk about is these guys are young. These they have a very very uh, you know stereotypical life right now as people who are teenagers into their early twenties, um, and unfortunately, you know I had that same kind of lifestyle right where you you just don't think you just kind of act and you do what you want to do. But at the same time, I wasn't in the spotlight, and they are. This is their only, like, window of opportunity to kind of really take this uh, unique moment and unique situation and capitalize on it. And for them to do that, I think they're going to have to have somebody around them that is in their ear and letting them know that it's kind of their responsibility to keep their mental straight, um, stay healthy, and also take the advice of people who care about you and who, who have your best interests in mind.
0: Certainly, yeah. It's an interesting position to be in. The comparison to traditional sports is so interesting as these players go from just playing video games, usually in the same system, and then suddenly when they get picked up by a team, they reach a certain point, have all this media attention, people watching their Twitch stream, ready to clip something, a Dexerto article going up on something they said. And it's a pretty immediate media attention, and they have to be on the entire duration of their stream it's something the traditional sports athletes don't have to deal with they play on a court you can usually say whatever they want on the court because the media or the league itself controls what comes out of that you've got nfl mics up there but we're not hearing half the things that are said on a field yeah. and it's really a tough spot for an esports player because they have to be constantly broadcasting themselves they usually don't have as much intense media training and a lot of them end up in trouble, but I honestly think we've seen far fewer issues with esports athletes than we have even in the sports world, even though they're constantly online and their tension is constantly on them as they play video games eight hours a day.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and I definitely think that's where publishers have really stepped up is preparing these players who are, you know, for lack of a better term, like the, the face of their franchise right so if league of legends had a had a face it's probably faker if it had a face in north america it's probably double lift right and and if you look at them they have not only the organization's you know brand on their back they actually have the publisher's brand on their back and so i think the publishers have really identified that Uh, as something that they want to invest in going forward. So they've been really heavy on, uh, and I was a part of this over a riot, but doing player summits so that, you know, these athletes get a chance to come in and understand what it means to be ready when they go on camera, what it means to go be ready when they go into an interview uh, or a podcast um, and talk about what they're doing in their daily lives and what their, you know, life as a pro is like so that they're, great representations, not only for their organization, uh, but for the publishers themselves. And, you know, I think that's been one of those things where we've seen less and less and less of this slip of the tongue that we used to see in the early days of esports that, you know, these guys feel very professional now. They feel ready to go in front of camera. They feel the like they can make that jump and the ability to to go do an interview anytime that they want or need.
0: Yeah, it's truly remarkable. I remember going to the first Call of Duty event I covered as press, and I wanted to do a feature or a story, one of the players, and he lost his last match and not even wasn't even out of the tournament completely. He just lost. Uh, and I wanted to talk to them, and they were just unavailable because they were mad because they lost. And I was like, okay, that's going to need to change <laughs> if you want to have people write stories about you. I have to be able to talk to the player and they can't be mad because they lost and now you won't put them in front of a camera. And when I went to Worlds last year, that had definitely changed a lot. You know, the losers were doing press conferences. They were cordial. uh, They were answering questions. And it was cool to see because I think it's important for esports and for esports athletes to, you know, we have a certain obligation to brands, to press, to as being part of this league and having the rest of it build out around the actual competition is important. Do you feel like esports athletes are well aware of, you know, the role that press and brand plays, or is there still a little bit of hesitancy uh, towards embracing all the other things that come with being a pro? Um,
1: You know, I I don't think it's really about hesitancy uh, towards embracing that aspect of being a pro. I think it's more about, it becomes exhausting after you play a game to sit down with, Uh, some press that actually absolutely knows nothing about the game. Um, And, and then you have to educate them without them doing the homework that they need to do as, as journalists or as, you know, um, an outlet that reports on this stuff. And, you know, somebody who just came off the stage and lost sitting down with somebody who says, so what is a a tower? You know, it becomes like this, this insane merry-go-round for them where they're just like, I just got done competing at the highest level, against one of the best players in the world. And now I have to do a tutorial for somebody who probably should have done that homework to begin with. So I think this is sort of like a a 50-50 scenario, right? I think players can be a little bit better at understanding that their space is going to widen and that people who are getting into this space uh, don't necessarily have all the answers. And I think it's also a little bit on the outlets to come in uh, more prepared with... Questions that are relevant to what just happened on stage
0: I would hundred percent agree with you there's still so many so much coverage of eSports from a mainstream perspective where it's just not knowledgeable they they don't start they started with the same old stereotype you may think it's gamers in their mom's basements but actually there's a stadium and it's like okay that was fine <laughs> in 2013 we're, we're seven years later now all these investors have bought it. It's millions bought millions of dollars. You can't keep being willfully ignorant to this space and this industry. So from a player's perspective, I would 100% could see where that would be an issue. It's walking up to LeBron after a basketball game and being like, so that's a three-pointer there at the end that was scored.
1: (laughs) Is that good? Why is that throw free on that one?
0: (laughs) Yeah, just, just making sure I understand what's going on here. That's really... Interesting. You know, I want to switch gears a little bit just to be conscious of your time here. We have a new study from United Talent Agency that's really interesting and something that runs parallel to a lot of things I've seen across gaming and esports. And that's that, hey, everyone's been stuck at home for the last two months. They're consuming a lot more video games, be it Animal Crossing on the Switch, be it watching Valorant streams on Twitch or farming drops if they they can get them. It's... (laughs) a really huge time for gaming. It's on ESPN. It's on Fox Sports 1 and all these different sports simulations that have athletes and celebrities playing video games. So this study you ran, I'm going to run through some of the stats real quick. Uh, about 40% of respondents say they're consuming more video games, music streaming, and YouTube content. Uh, 78% more than 8 in 10 within the key demo of 25 to 44 say that playing sports-related video games provides enjoyment as a replacement to traditional sports. of those who say they miss watching live sports and more than three quarters of those under 25 say they'll continue playing and watching more video games after live sports returns. I think that key word is more. A lot of people already playing video games, but we're seeing an uptick. And this study, again, framed it what's going to happen after COVID, which I think is a good perspective because, yeah, obviously everybody's stuck at home. But all these people saying, hey, we're going to keep playing more and more video games what are your what findings stuck out from you when when you looked at this report?
1: Um honestly, some of the stuff that really stuck out to me was that people can can really be in this pandemic, this this terrible situation but find joy in certain things that aren't necessarily right at their fingertips. They have the ability to connect with each other in a way that involves, you know, what we call virtual concerts or virtual uh, entertainment. But in, in reality, it's just entertainment. And the way that they are consuming this entertainment, or whether it be to connect with each other on competition through, like you mentioned, playing video games or all turning into The Last Dance to watch this story that we're all pretty familiar with, but at the same time, you know, are seeing a new view on. I think that it's been really eye-opening to see the integral part that video games and streaming and our you know section of, of entertainment actually plays when providing joy and, and basically this you know essential connection with people, whether it be tuning into a Twitch stream or playing FIFA or just trying to <laughs> climb solo queue in, in league, these guys and, and and girls are always around just uh, looking for a connection some way and somehow. And, and you can definitely see that in the numbers when it comes out um, on how much video games are being played, but also how much Twitch is being consumed.
0: Yeah. The numbers really are just absolutely staggering, especially on Twitch. Valorant has been uh, just breaking records left and right for an early release of a game. You know, these are records that were set previously for worlds. I I would assume Uh, For League of Legends, so Riot just running the board here. But to see a new game come out, and there would be so much hype and interest around it. You know, Animal Crossing and and Riot, Valorant and Animal Crossing, both came out at just the absolute perfect time to drive so much engagement and so much traffic, so much content around it. Uh, It's an interesting bit. I've seen a lot of memes about how in the Riot head offices, they're like, how are we going to upsell Valorant? And they're like, this is it. This is the way of doing it.
1: Yeah. And and what's funny is that we all, you know, we all talk about Twitch. um, And I thought actually one of the things that really surprised me um, when I'm going through these stats is is YouTube's, you know, behemoth uh, presence within not only uh, gaming, but VODs and and entertainment in general. I mean, it's insane to me, like how much YouTube provides for people when, especially in these type circumstances, when you're looking at it and saying hey where do the traditional talent go where does traditional sports people go and and, youtube provides that platform for them to still connect to their community which is insane
0: yeah it's something that gamers have been understanding for a long time and youtube just in the way you can build an audience there is incredibly valuable one of the really interesting trends over the last month has been a lot of gamers being way more attached to celebrities and you know Fortnite and ninja stream with drake was like one of these moments that catapulted ninja into mainstream stardom in the west do you feel like this has been an opportunity for gamers to again have that brush with celebrity be it uh athletes playing call of duty actors playing Fortnite, uh gordon hayward playing league of legends all these different sports simulations we have going on that have players and MLS players playing with FIFA players. Do you feel like this provides an opportunity for gamers to be ascending a level in their stardom? I don't know if that's quite the right way of framing the question, but uh, you know, gamers are, are slowly progressing to this point where they're mainstream stars, ninjas on late night TV, Sinatra wins OWL MVP, he goes on Jimmy Fallon. It's a, something that would never have happened even three years ago. Do you think we see gamers... Ascending a level in mainstream status after this is over.
1: Um, I, I think right now is such a weird time, but at the same, like I think you have these celebrities that are actually getting an opportunity to be with gamers now, and I know that sounds strange and weird, but it's you know the the people who are coming out on who do this for a living, the content creators like pokimane and um, you know Lily Pichu and and you know doctors disrespect everybody like the celebrities have a chance to be with them and connect with a different audience and once the celebrities are able to do that especially during this time it's a very unique opportunity for them when their traditional way of connecting with their audience no longer exists so i think it's been one of those things where yeah we could talk about how gamers or entertainers or you know gaming uh, streamers are now getting more you know uh, leverage and, and eyes but at the same time like their communities like i said before are very loyal and i think right now is a time where the celebrities and traditional sports stars are getting a chance to be a part of those communities and staying uh, extremely relevant in in those areas there are several different athletes i've seen stream that if they stream alone don't get the numbers that they do if they stream with a or a regular streamer, and I think that's pretty eye opening. And when you look at the other side of it, I, I think maybe there's been a little bit of a missed opportunity uh, on our side with um, streamers and traditional uh, gamers to get them into the other spaces that exist now. So you know, these virtual concerts that are being uh, uh, thrown, and and these new fundraisers that are out there on NBC and CBS and ABC, like it'd be I would like to see more and more of our streamers get into those aspects and those areas to to connect to people outside of their own community.
0: Definitely, yeah. There's so much opportunity with all these different crossovers. The Travis Scott concert is such a great example. 27 million unique players tuned in over one weekend to watch this concert. It's safe to say that 27 million people are never going to watch another Travis Scott concert unless somehow he goes back in Fortnite again.
1: That's yeah,
0: that's a staggering number.
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty amazing, and I think Epic has really found their niche in uh, in this um, whole arena of gaming in general, which is you know utilizing something that they created uh, that is malleable and can really kind of fit all different areas, not just gaming. Yeah, Fortnite's an awesome game; it's a lot of fun to play, but at the same time think beyond that, and they have. They've really, they've really put on some amazing events um, over the years. I think the Travis Scott concert would just, you know, the cherry on top. It's pretty insane.
0: They're really just flexing with the Unreal Engine at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah, they really are.
0: Look what we can do. Watch this. You want to see a, just the most psychedelic, awesome Travis Scott concert ever? We can do that. Everyone else is yeah. like what? How?
1: Exactly that, that. Yeah, if you if you go back and watch all, all the bots and, and different perspectives of people who watched it, I think that's even something that's never been done before. Right, you can see a concert from the eyes of somebody, um, you know, a hundred. You know, I guess what you said, twelve million different perspectives of this concert.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely insane on the flip side as athletes and you know gamers get something by being a brush with celebrity but there's also so many celebrities musicians entertainers athletes that want to be playing games with gamers and some that have really leveraged the gaming audiences to build up their own brands Juju Smith Schuster is a great example of all the fans that weren't even fans of Pittsburgh Steelers would never have been fans of Pittsburgh Steelers but are fans of Juju because they love face clan same with Trevor May and the Minnesota Twins do you feel like there's an opportunity here for athletes and musicians to really build up their own fan bases by connecting with the gaming community and showing that they're gamers as well?
1: Absolutely. Um, And it's also not only showing that they're gamers, but that they're able to connect with those other personalities, right? So it's one thing to like playing video games. I think that's pretty common now. But what I think is really important is the gamers are the pro athletes ability to come into that gaming space and connect with that community on a way that feels organic not just somebody coming out and saying like hey fellow gamers I'm I'm the new cool guy on the block you must follow me because I'm on you know Pokimane's channel it's more like you know they are able to come on have a conversation with pokey in a way that feels authentic and organic um, and fun and and the community is able to kind of enjoy their back and forth so that they're more connected in that area and in that space. And then I think on the other side of that, it's going to be a growth level for both of those people, whatever pro athlete comes into that space and whatever streaming they're they're uh, teaming up with.
0: Right. And, you know, when everyone talks about, oh, Drake came to Ninja's channel. Well, you know, Ninja at the time was a very hot brand. It, it helped Drake as well. It wasn't a one-sided exchange of, Now, Ninja did make an absurd amount of money purely off that one stream. But it was something that Drake wanted to do to help build his audience as well. It was connecting with the biggest gamer, somebody who was just the hottest maybe streaming channel we've ever seen during one period of time, uh, driving breaking Twitch records consistently uh, and then shattering it with the Drake stream. So it's interesting, you know, there's that... That dichotomy is it goes back and forth. It's not just, oh, okay, we're playing video games. it's uh, it's good for both parties to be part of that and to be together and playing together.
1: And these yeah. gamers
0: know how to leverage their communities better than anybody else. It goes back to the top of the show. how you were saying is you know they know their community, and getting their support is awesome for a brand or an athlete or whoever it is
1: yeah i would i mean the main story i have in that area I'll, I'll tell it quickly uh is you know during the world finals in korea uh i think the first time it was in korea in it, it riot um we had imagine dragons do the opening ceremony and i know uh when they came on they did it you know mainly because they were just so into the game they really loved the game and you know, when they when we first went out to Korea, I don't think anybody could have told you who Imagine Dragons was. But by the time we left, uh, it was insane to hear their songs being played in the cafes out there. That people who you know don't speak English just like yelling the lyrics at the top of their lungs. People who were just really enjoying them because they embraced their community, they embraced their game, and I think you know that was definitely a mutually beneficial collaboration. That that. I don't think anybody ever saw that much of an upside to until, you know, it actually took off.
0: Riot certainly been pushing a lot of boundaries in brand partnerships and entertainment. You know, you have we talk about the uh the Epic Games, the Travis Scott concert, you also have something like KDA, which is this completely unique creation from Riot that's one of the what, the 40 most watched videos on YouTube ever. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure last time I checked it was. Yep. Yeah, publishers as entertainment companies is this interesting transition that's happened mostly from Riot and Epic, and I think is something that's going to be really interesting to watch over the coming years.
1: Absolutely, I mean, I think that's where that's where they are diversifying, and, and I think you know, kind of where things start to get muddied, especially in the esports industry, is publishers are looking to double down on that aspect, and, and rightfully so, their IP is strong, storytelling strong. The people that they bring in, the talent that they bring in to create these backstories and these games and this IP is just insane. And what I think has happened, at least in the midterm, is teams have also tried to jump into this entertainment aspect. And with teams and organizations jumping into this entertainment aspect, it it starts to kind of create like a three-tiered competition. Uh, instead of a symbiotic relationship. And it's going to be interesting going forward to see how that plays out.
0: Absolutely. So I want to wrap up a little bit here and I want to wrap up on a thought on the talent agency world in esports in general. And it's really evolved recently. And I I think Evolved Talent is actually one of the major agencies (laughs) in the game. But you've got all these different companies like Ryan Morrison, you've got Loaded representing streamers, you've got United Talent Agency you know, one of the four biggest talent agencies in Hollywood representing all these stars, finally embracing esports. How far have you watched the esports talent agent scene progress through your times at Riot and now at UTA? And what more do we still need to accomplish as we look towards the future?
1: Um, Well, I mean, definitely a two-part question. Uh, I would say there's a reason why I went to UTA and, and why I wanted to be a part of, you know, their company and their business and and it was because i knew that when i got there they're going to have such an infrastructure behind them and such a knowledge about you know how to do business the correct way um a way that doesn't really ever put anybody that's a client uh, on the back foot it always puts the client first it always makes sure that those people are taken care of in a way that um you know, feels good for all parties, and not just you know the the pocket of the agent or the pocket of the person that's that's dealing with this transaction. Um, I would say, you know, as somebody who was part of Riot, watching this stuff from the outside, it was pretty disturbing seeing some of the contracts being signed. Um, and for me, watching you know either agencies or management companies or you know, and trust me, there's a difference in both of them, um, allowing that they allowing their uh, players or clients to sign some of these contracts was was disturbing in, in my eyes because it just meant that whatever agent was doing those deals was doing it just because they knew it was something that could, you know, get them some clout in the e- ecosystem or, you know, have other players come in and uh, sign with them because they've done a deal or two um, and then ultimately just benefit themselves. And for me, what I wanted to see, at least coming over, Uh, Initially was a transference of power in uh, esports away from just the owner uh, or organizations and more into the hands of uh, educated pro players, educated talent. And what I mean by that is like, there's people that I've helped out, you know, reading through uh, certain agreements and pointing them in the direction of lawyers so that they can give them actual legal advice um, that I don't represent. And I do that because I want to make sure that these scenes and this ecosystem is going to stay healthy going forward. There's also people that, you know, I do represent that I've had to, you know, have difficult conversations with about, you know, what team they're on and and what's next in their lives and and why they're in the positions that they're in um, and how long it's going to take for them to get out of it. And... I want to have less and less of those conversations going forward, not because I, I want to, you know, be the person that's against the teams or against the organizations, but mainly because I think it's going to be beneficial mutually to the organizations and to the pro players to have a healthy ecosystem where players understand what they are worth and how to obtain that worth without, you know, gouging the system on, on organizations and without underselling themselves as, uh, as like beneficial, Uh, members to an organization
0: absolutely and you know that's really important we're all in the esports world and for esports to succeed long term all these different aspects of it need to be sustainable and players need to sign good contracts the teams need to not be forced not necessarily forced but be taking advantage of players and being put in these weird positions where okay now we have to create these contracts it's really shady and one thing to add to things that need to change is uh player agencies started by the teams that run it, it doesn't make any sense and you know we're not going to call out names but there was a pretty high profile one this week you can't be a talent agent and also run an esports organization and then sign there's just so many conflicts of interest it's not even clear so yeah, you got to have a good third party agent UTA being one of the biggest uh, hit up hit up Travis if you're an esports player looking for a new agent
1: and thanks man appreciate that the uh I, do, I, I definitely think you know there's there's loopholes out there that are going to be around for a long time but you know teams and organizations are going to focus on multiple things outside of just competing and that's okay Uh, And I also think that, you know, the way it works over in Europe is vastly different than the way it works in NA. Uh, When I talk to European teams, you know, there are agencies that can represent the team and there's agencies that can represent the player, but they can't represent both. And I think that's kind of where, you know, you're pointing at right there is fine if you want to have an agency that represents the team and goes out and sells against the team as far as brands are concerned or partnerships. But if you are going to be doing something with the player, you can't represent that same player. that that same talent at that moment in time so uh, there is definitely a clear line that that should be drawn and in, in, in some some places in some states it is actually drawn already so it just, it just depends on, on where, where they're doing business and how they're doing business but um education is the biggest thing that's out there right now and the more we can educate uh, everybody i i think it's in including myself uh <laughs> i think the better
0: it certainly feels like we're reaching a point where esports players are more knowledgeable about what contracts they're signing. I think the Tifu legal drama with FaZe was a really high-profile legal case that just highlighted, okay, I'm a player, I signed a contract, now it's a year later, I'm one of the biggest channels on Twitch, and I'm stuck in this contract. I think that was kind of a wake-up call maybe for some players. At least you see that and you're like, okay, you should probably be more aware of what I'm signing, get some get some lawyers. Check it out. We've got some very active lawyers, some active talent representation in esports now. Who're willing, like you said, you're willing to have conversations with people even when you're not necessarily they're they're not necessarily your client. I think that's true for a lot of people in esports. It's just a matter of players reaching out and making sure they take the time to cover their own asses. I, I guess is the best way of saying it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. It's, it's also like you said, man. We're all in this together. Uh, everybody's in this together. This is a industry that we hope lives for, uh, you know, the foreseeable future, if not way longer. Um, you know, my, my is only five and he's doing pretty well at video games already. So, and he's got some, some great teachers around him. So I hope it, it exists for a long time. Uh, and you know, in order for that to happen, there's just, There's just aspects of it that I think we can learn from the outside world on. I'm really happy that basketball and uh, traditional sports organizations are getting more and more involved um, because their legal teams and their ability to kind of uh, draw on their past experiences and the growth uh, of NBA, NFL, you know, uh, Major League Soccer is super valuable to the esports industry, super valuable to the esports ecosystem. Uh, And I think, you know, you can draw a direct parallel from that to somebody like UTA who is now in this industry, uh, able to kind of teach people about and educate people on like the, the growth pains, the growing pains of traditional talent, Hollywood, of you know, writing, of, of publishing and everything in between. And um, we need to learn from each other in this, not only right now in this time, but in this ecosystem and in this industry for it to last as long as something uh, like Hollywood or traditional sports.
0: Yeah, there's so many lessons to be taken from entertainment, from sports, and esports is is learning that and those places are also taking some from the esports and gaming world. So it's been this merger of all of these different things and gaming's acceptance in a mainstream in a lot of different ways over the last few years has been really great uh, at least in the western world. It's been really great uh, for the scene as a whole as everything comes together. We see sports influences, things like player unions, uh like representation like good contracts like fair fair deals all being adopted more and more in esports and that's only going to help grow the scene in the future
1: yeah absolutely Uh, and and (laughs) just a a quick uh, caveat the uh i think you know player unions are still to be seen uh, and and that's one thing you know uh, it's always hard to advocate one way or the other for i i want I and I hope that in the future, everybody's able to, to do what they need to do to have their best seat at the table. Um, but the players associations that are popping up around uh, different leagues um, have been tremendously helpful uh, as far as getting everybody's voice um, at least heard and unified so that when they go and talk, um, you don't have to have like the publisher involved in that area.
0: Yeah, the combined voice there. You're right. Players union. I remember there was some talk about a, a Counter Strike union and a Fortnite union, but I haven't heard much about them. And it's really tough to gain bargaining power as well mm-hmm. in, in esports right now. I think this is a whole nother conversation. We probably shouldn't start at minute 48 of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, I wanted to wrap it up here and just thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on. Is there anything you'd like to plug, be it one of your clients' channels? Uh, your own personal social channels, UTA as a whole, please feel free to plug whatever and however you'd like.
1: I mean, honestly, our clients uh, speak for themselves. They're pretty amazing. Um, I know UTA speaks for themselves, but I I couldn't be happier with um, the decision I made and and where we're at and the future of esports within uh, UTA and and how they've handled it going forward. So uh, here's to the future, and uh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Same with me. Well, yeah, thank you again for joining the show, Travis. It was great talking to you, man.
1: Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it.